And I remember thinking to myself, I do want this. Like I want this and I want whatever challenges come with it. I'm ready. I believe in it. I believe in the importance that journalism plays in having a, a healthy democracy and an encouraging social discourse. And like, I'm a true idealist about it. Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just trying, with your help, to make the world 10% nicer by every means necessary. I am your host, Todd Brilliant, and today's guest is Shelby Hartman, founder and CEO of the groundbreaking and super nice Double Blind magazine. Double Blind is a print magazine covering timely untold stories about the expansion of psychedelics around the globe. But Double Blind is really a lot more than that. It's a platform, uh, print online and in the real world, for a community of people who are interested in the potential of psychedelics and plant medicine as largely untapped healing agents. Some, some, some even believe that used properly, they can mend many of the differences between individuals, communities, and even nations. Shelby is a graduate of the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, kind of like the gold standard of uh, graduate schools for journalism. Uh, she's gone all in on the subject, steering the entirety of her successful career as a journalist into this still controversial, which is absolutely silly and kind of sad that it's controversial uh, space. Shelby will share her journey diving blind into a wildly competitive and marginally profitable industry, which isn't that so often an excuse to not pursue a dream, isn't it? You know, people tell themselves, oh, I'm not an expert. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Blah, blah, blah. Self-defeating talk. Blah, blah, blah. Not Shelby. No. She knew that she didn't know but she committed to learning quickly and consulting the right people and trusting herself, trusting your team. So listen up because this podcast is all about empowering you to find your nice work. And if you feel like starting or, or deepening slash maturing your relationship with psychedelics, there's a lot here for you. And since we always give away cool stuff, yeah, you can win a year subscription to Double Blind if you pay attention and listen to the whole podcast. Okay, let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Shelby Hartman. Shelby, Shelby Hartman, thanks for being on and welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Where are you right now? What city, what part of the country or the world? Currently, I am in New York, although I normally live in L.A., so you're in New York. I think that makes I think that makes three out of the last four podcast guests have been in New York. What are the odds? I guess they're pretty good. New York's a big city. Yes, and New York also does have a pretty robust psychedelic community. Super Nice Club loves New York, so I'm jealous that you're out there. Let's just jump right in. Double Blind Magazine, magazine that I love, a magazine that I saw first on a news rack, picked it up and then thought, you know, someday I should reach out to them and see if we can get them uh, on the podcast. And so that day is today. You and 
Madison Margolin founded Double Blind Magazine. Is that correct? It is. And when did it start? When did that adventure kick off? I first had the idea for Double Blind in November of 2018 when I was meditating in my apartment in New Orleans. And then we launched the first magazine in June of 2019. So we've been around now for, I don't know, two two and a half years. Am I doing my math correctly? <laughs> I think so. It sounds good. You really got, you went to print really quickly after after the idea. Way to go. Thank you. <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely a feat because we had no money and no resources. <laughs> That's so cool to hear. And I hope folks that you're listening like that uh, Shelby had an idea, did not have any idea how to execute the idea necessarily because there's no funds, no resources, and yet made it happen. All right. So a lot of times for us, we, we have a great idea and then the excuse is, oh, but I, there's, you know, I don't, I can't do it because I don't have any money. Clearly that didn't stop Shelby. And in a minute, we're going to learn how she overcame these hurdles. Um, but before then, this meditation session, you know, wh- what's the why here? What's the why of Double Blind Magazine for you that, that popped while you were sitting there in New Orleans? When I was meditating, it really felt like this beam of light was shining through the crown of my head and down into my gut and into the core of the earth. It was a very aligned, clear message. There was no doubt there at all. And so I think that's part of why I just started making plans to make it a reality in spite of how impossible it may have seemed if I had thought about it too deeply. (laughs) Which is, which is another great lesson, right? Don't think too deeply on your great idea. Just if you've got a little momentum, just keep moving with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And Madison was excited right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I called her, I literally got up off my meditation pillow and said like, Hey, I have this idea. I called her out of the blue. I think it was a weekend. Um, and we weren't friends at the time. We had worked together. So I think she might have been like, why is Shelby calling me? Because it was like a weekend and we had no plans to talk. Um, but yeah, I said, I have this idea. And she said, great, let's do it. And um, yeah, neither of us really spent a lot of time thinking about the mechanics of how we were going to make it happen. We just wanted to do it. <laughs> Here's something that I totally love from the Double Blind website. Just a quick little quote. We're not speaking to the veteran tripper nor evangelizing to the anti-drug square. We are speaking to everyone who is curious about psychedelics. And we are speaking to anyone craving fresh perspectives on some of the most important issues of our time, the depression epidemic, the corporatization of medicine, and the aching that people around the globe feel for spirituality or some other collective sense of meaning. That's glorious. That's really great. Thank you. Thanks very much. And that was that that uh, mission statement or about page was really the first the first thing that we wrote that served as the template for what Double Blind was going to be. I mean, I remember sitting in a cafe in New Orleans with my friend before we had any sense of what kinds of stories were going to go in the first magazine before we before anything. I literally was just sitting with a blank Google Doc in a cafe trying to come up with 
a statement that represented what we were trying to create and could kind of serve as a guidepost for us. And I am actually really humbled when I look back on that statement because, you know, a lot has changed and a lot has evolved and that's inevitable when you're running a startup. But when I think about what the original vision was and what we were trying to do, I still think that we're doing it. I don't think that we have lost ourselves or lost sight of what we wanted along the way. The reading Double Blind, it definitely feels like, and it's, folks, it's, as I stated in the intro, Double Blind is more than just a magazine. It's it's a whole platform of communications. Um, but when you're involved with the community, when you're reading the magazine, it definitely feels, um, I wouldn't quite say homespun. I don't. I don't mean it, it, amateur or anything like that. But it, it feels so genuine, so real, so much like a passion project. And how many times do we get to to, to open up a magazine or get involved or, or be part of something that feels like a passion project? It seems like not a lot these days. So this is this is something that's really special about what you're doing, and you're definitely keeping it that way. You know, uh, I, I know it'll get harder as you get bigger, but so far, so great. So great, Shelby. Thank you. So let's get into the how real quick. This morning, I was at the wonderful diesel bookstore here in LA uh, over on the West Side, and I saw this really depressing book. <laughs> uh, it's no joke. It made me want to cry. It's called 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet. Things like uh, a good night's sleep, dictionaries, looking out the window, civility, eye contact. I mean, you get it, right? But number 71, and this is the one that popped in my mind. I'm like, I wonder if it's in here. So I looked at the table of contents. Number 71 between working independently and asking politely is magazines. <laughs> magazines is the number 71 of 100 things we've lost to the internet, which leads me big, big lead up here to how in the world did you get a magazine off the ground? What a, it's 2021. Magazines are struggling so hard. This was a huge leap of faith. Did, did anyone try to talk you out of it? Oh, yeah. A lot of people told me that I was crazy to start a print magazine. I mean, Madison and I both have spent our whole careers in journalism. I literally was working at CBS News before I even graduated college. I was working uh, 20 hours a week helping produce broadcasts, news broadcasts in Washington, D.C. and going to school full time. I've Yeah, I mean, I've been at this. I'm only 31, but I have been thinking about journalism and media and how to monetize media since I was 19, you know, and had my first internship. And mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation with my mentor, Dan Revive, who was a longtime uh, CBS News anchor and correspondent about, you know, my career and where I wanted to go and this and that. And he said something to the effect of, if you don't really want to be a journalist, go do something else. Uh, because even at the time, and this was before so much of what is now facing newsrooms in terms of, you know, the constant changing algorithms on social media. And, you know, I could just go down the rabbit hole of all the challenges that we're now facing when it comes to the monetization of media. But like, this was before that. And um, he was saying that. And I remember thinking to myself, 
I do want this. Like I want this and I want whatever challenges come with it. I'm ready. I believe in it. I believe in the importance that journalism plays in having a, a healthy democracy and an encouraging social discourse. And like, I'm a true idealist about it, you know? And, Good for you. Um, and then as I embarked on my career and I worked in many different kinds of newsrooms and I spent some time at the Times-Picayune in New Orleans, which was the first major daily newspaper to go from being printed every day to being printed uh, several times a week and kind of transitioning to a digital first strategy, which, you know, made made national headlines because it was kind of the first indication that, you know, newspapers and print, generally speaking, was on the decline. And I also spent time at like several different media startups that were testing out a variety of, of kind of what they thought were innovative strategies for monetizing media. So I worked at a media startup that had like an e-commerce store and was trying to sell physical products and also do content. And I worked at, you know, I just, I've done so many different kinds of things. And I've also seen so many journalists who literally have devoted their entire lives to storytelling get canned overnight because the money ran out. And so I went into Double Blind like with my eyes wide open. Like I really understood the media landscape and all the different ways in which people were failing and succeeding and trying to succeed at monetizing content. And I knew that it wasn't going to be easy. But I, I also, yeah, my, my eyes were wide open and I've had a lot of really brilliant mentors along the way. And we're lucky that we've gotten as far as we have. It has to be a little more than luck, though, right? So you have a great partner. You have a good team. Just to get uh, – folks, if, if you don't and, – and jump in here, Shelby, but most magazines don't really make a lot of money on the magazines themselves, all right? Unless you're printing a huge volume, uh, they're expensive. They're expensive to make. Uh, and, you know, you, you don't make a ton of cash on a per-magazine thing or on the subscription thing. So – it's not like they're printing dollars here. You're really, is your model mostly advertising revenue driven? No. Um, we take some advertising in the print magazine and some very limited advertising on our website. But I was mm -hmm. always from the get go, I did not want advertising to be our business model because for two reasons. One, well, three. One, because it's not working <laughs> as a core business model for many newsrooms that are trying to do that. Thanks, two, Internet. Two, because, frankly, I have experience working with a lot of brands in different newsrooms, and it's not... It's not always super uh, easy to work with brands. Some brands are wonderful to work with, but so, but but at the end of the day, it's 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 a tough thing because you know it makes sense that if someone's giving you money, they want to make sure that like you know that that money is is coming back to them. That's kind of the fundamental principle of an investment, right? As you put in money and you get more money, at least as much money out as you put in. But advertisers are very focused on they want to know you know exactly how many people clicked on the ad and exactly how many people who clicked converted and you know and it puts a lot of pressure on like journalists to drive traffic and eyeballs um and and if you don't 
do that, then sometimes, you know, brands aren't happy and then you have to go and apologize. And so it's just, it's, it's a whole beast that I, I didn't want to deal with. I wanted us to be in control of our own um, revenue and to have everything pretty much for the most part be happening internally. Um, you know, the sec- the third reason kind of relates to the second, which is, you know, we want to tell the kind of stories that we want to tell. We want to tell the kinds of stories that we feel are really important. And, and that's why we founded Double Blind. You know, unfortunately, and I was, you know, any single journalist who, who pays attention to Google Analytics and, and things and the back end of, you know, how, how stories perform will tell you that we live in an era where the most important stories aren't always the ones that get the most shares or get the most likes or get read the most, right? And we didn't want to be put in a position where we were having to write essentially like, BuzzFeed style listicles and other kinds of content just to drive clicks and to drive eyeballs. We want to tell the kinds of stories we want to tell. And we don't want anyone else from the outside saying, you know, no, we want you to do it this way or that way. Fair enough. Fair enough. And you've succeeded, which is which is remarkable. Totally remarkable. And I get that that pressure between or that conflict sometimes between editorial and advertising. It's classic, right? Mm-hmm. It goes back to the very first, very first magazine, very first newsrooms. Right. Uh, and it looks like you've built a model that that uh, lets you escape that conflict. Part of that model is your your workshops and your classes, right? Yesterday I received an email from Double Blind inviting me to join a webinar with Dennis McKenna superhero Dennis McKenna. He's wonderful on neurochemistry, consciousness, and ethnobotany. That's super cool. You offer workshops and classes on all sorts of things. And they're not just psychedelic, right? Sometimes it's different types of, um, what, I've seen some on mushroom, non-psychedelic mushroom, what do you call it? Farming, growing, planting, Mm. cultivating. Cultivating, that's the word. Um, In fact, I I got inspired to try doing uh, lion's mane, for example, thanks to a DB article. What do the workshops usually look like and what do they feel like? How do people find them? Yeah, I appreciate you kind of bringing it up following the question about advertising because I just also want to say that from the get-go, I think the thing that was at the forefront of Madison and my minds when we were thinking about how we were going to make this a sustainable business venture is, is there a way that we can make money that also is aligned with our values and actually is providing value to the people who we care about, which is our readers and our community. You know, like the last thing, in my opinion, I mean, look, there are some brands who are doing amazing things and, you know, and we partner with those brands and we provide limited advertising opportunities for them. But we didn't, I feel like, you know, we live in a very toxic advertising culture where things are getting like shot at us all the time that are not actually going to serve us. And so the courses come from this place of, they were birthed from this idea that like people actually really need and really want trusted education on how to embark on a psychedelic journey. Because we're at this point in history where, you know, I mean, you you read about it in our mission statement, but a lot of people are suffering and they want a way out of their suffering. And they've heard about this thing called psychedelics. Maybe they saw Have a Good Trip on Netflix, or maybe they read How to Change Your Mind, or maybe they heard about microdosing on the Joe Rogan podcast. 
the point is millions and millions of people are learning about psychedelics, are getting curious about psychedelics, but they don't know where to start. It can be a little bit overwhelming. It can be a little bit scary. And so the idea is that our education is, is, it's like a one-stop shop for people who, um, yeah, are ready to, to either begin taking psychedelics. They've never taken a psychedelic before and they want to know where to begin or they want to deepen their relationship with psychedelics because there's also a lot of people in this world who, you know, have dabbled a little bit, maybe, you know, like baby boomers, they tripped, you know, on acid in the 60s and 70s, but they haven't touched the stuff since and now they want to come back to it mm -hmm. for sort of like their midlife crisis or, you know, Lots of people, lots and lots of people who, you know, want to get off of SSRIs and have heard that microdosing psilocybin might be able to help them do that, which it has helped many people do that. Um, and so, you know, our courses, our webinars, they're, they're basically, they're addressing all of these people and all of these issues. And we have a class on how to grow your own mushrooms, which is incredible. We've had more than 4,000 people around the world grow mushrooms with us. It's a series of pre-recorded modules and downloadable PDFs. But the most beautiful part about it is that it comes with a mushroom community, a community of our growers that is supported around the clock by a team of mycologists, a team of incredible, incredible, compassionate, beautiful, wonderful human beings. Um, Dr. K. Mandrake and Virginia Hayes, who wrote like the kind of definitive book on growing psychedelic mushrooms are on our team. They live in the community discord and they look at pictures of people's bins and pictures of people's bags and help them figure out what kind oh, of cool. scores to buy. Um, and then we also have a microdosing course, which includes live support with a microdosing coach. His name is Adam Bramlage. Um, and then our webinars are just shorter conversations, like 75 minutes with different experts on a variety of topics. We've done talks with Paul Stamets, Jim Fadiman, Rick Doblin, Rick Strassman, Alex and Allison Gray. I mean, we've been very humbled to have a lot of, of the most kind of prolific uh, psychedelic advocates uh, join us for, for talks and classes and trainings. That's that's terrific. What I'm also hearing in there is that, you know, there are people out there, maybe some are listening, who are maybe they're um, they're psychedelic curious but a little afraid, or mm. maybe they're sort of on an island. They're not. They don't live anywhere near other people who are interested in this, or they're you know they're just not close to a supportive community, right? So this is a great way for them to actually, like I was saying before, this isn't just a magazine. There's a whole big, rich online community um, of people here. So if you are somewhere and you're just sort of curious, this is a great way to be around people who really prioritize um, a safe, healthful healing experience, all right? A very supported experience. So I highly recommend folks checking out the the website, doubleblindmag.com, which will lead you into these workshops, uh, these classes. And also, we got to get across, because this is brand new. It's really cool. Super Nice Club joined uh, the Double Blind Plus community, right? And that's... That's where so much of this lives. What's, what's the difference between just your workshops on your site and the Double Blind Plus? Oh, Double Blind Plus is just for our super fans. It's for the people who want access to all the things we do and also the people who frankly just really believe in our mission and want to support us. 
Um, we had a, actually, it was amazing how many people were DMing us and emailing us saying, like, can I just give you money? You know, like literally people just emailing us saying, like, I just really love you and I really support your mission and you've changed my life. And I just want to I want to give you money because I know that you're working really hard to do all the things you're doing, which is true. So um, anyway, but the, the Double Blind Plus, it's really kind of the one stop shop. So it includes um you know, we do two webinars a month, as mentioned, uh, you know, these 75 minute conversations on trip sitting and microdosing and a bunch of other things. And so um, the the Double Blind Plus is a monthly membership that includes uh, all those talks. Um, you can just sign up for them individually, but you can also, you know, be a subscriber and then you get access to all the talks. You also get access to a library of literally dozens of videos that we've recorded with various experts on, uh, you know, topics in the psychedelic space. We have intimate dialogues like Zoom conversations and debates with psychedelic experts. It includes uh, access to a Discord channel. It includes our print magazine. It's like it's like the everything but the kitchen sink, like double blind, super fan program. (laughs) Uh, I like it. It's it's inspiring. I I also want to just comment, super nice club fans. Did you hear what Shelby said about people basically throwing money at uh, Double Blind? That's never happened with the super nice club. I mean, not one time. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody or saying that you guys aren't awesome, but it'd be cool if it happened once. You know, just make me feel worthy because now I'm feeling like people just aren't as excited about Super Nice Club as Double Blind, and there's a real rapid inferiority complex setting in. Um, okay, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it. Um, let me shift gears real quick and just ask you a point blank question, Shelby. What does a nicer world look like to you? What would be, bam, the world's 10% nicer? What do we need to focus on right away? Hmm. thinking about it because it's a big question. I mean, there's a lot of different ways I could answer it and I would probably answer it differently depending on the day. But in this particular moment, the first thing that comes to mind is sleep. Um, So I had a very profound MDMA experience with my best friend on Saturday and kind of the biggest takeaway I got from that experience is that we're both really tired (laughs) and I, and granted I've been traveling a lot lately, um, you know, and I'm in New York and New York is, can be a pretty tiring place. And, but it's just a theme that I have been seeing emerge that I've been talking to a lot of people who just, who just are, are worn out. And I think that there's this fatigue that has emanated from I mean, it's, it's just, it's so multidimensional and it's systemic and it's personal and it's interpersonal. But my, my friend and I were talking a, a, a lot about when we were tripping about work and our, and our culture's relationship to work and sort of the overemphasis that we place on our minds over like the wisdom in our bodies, which is something we often talk about in the psychedelic mm-hmm. space. Um, we talk about, you know, listen to your body, give yourself the time and space to listen to your body, to hear what it is trying to tell you, whether that's to hydrate or to stretch or to take a long bath or whatever it may be. 
And at Double Blind and in the psychedelic community as well, we often talk about kind of the relationship between individual, communal, and planetary healing. And this idea that, you know, there is value in treating our mental health, not just because we're going to feel better, but because when you feel better, you start to treat other people better. And you also start to be a more conscientious global citizen. And when people are extremely depleted, like emotionally, physiologically, spiritually, it doesn't leave a lot of extra energy to be kind to other people. Like if you're not being kind to yourself, you're not going to have the energy to be kind to other people. And so I think that that's, that would be my first thought. <laughs> True that. And sleep is a big part of that. Mm. Getting back to um, responsible um, psychedelic use, right? Doing these things the right way, paying attention to set and setting. You mentioned an MDMA trip. If anybody's out there is interested, if you are into MDMA, I highly recommended rollsafe.org. That's rollsafe.org, where you can learn about safety information about MDMA and different supplements that you can take and, and sort of how to have the most helpful experience. Uh, and folks, some of you might be wondering, you know, why we talk about this quite a bit on the podcast, why we've had so many guests whose mission is to spread the word of psychedelics and plant medicine. I mean, we've talked to my old landlord. Amy Emerson, who's the executive director of MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Incredible organization. Rick Doblin, we salute you. Uh, we've also had Mushroom Queen Ophelia Chong on the show. Shelby, you've worked with Ophelia, or still do. I, she's part of the DB community, right? Cannabis advocates Andrew D'Angelo, Laganja Estranja, and just a number of other guests who are vocally friendly to these explorers. And, and, and now we have you, Shelby. Some of you might be wondering why, how is this related? How are psychedelics related to a nicer world? Shelby just answer that to some degree, but I'm gonna put you on the spot again and just ask you how are some other ways do you think that your work makes the world a little bit nicer? Well, I do think that psychedelics can be an important tool for self-awareness and self-care. And I frame it that way because Madison and I are always careful not to say that psychedelics are going to, you know, fix all the problems in the world or even fix all your own individual problems. I think that they're just one tool of, of many tools, but they're a very powerful one. And, you know, of course, you know, through our, through our education, we hope that we are empowering people to, to embark safely on a psychedelic journey and to sort of wake up to their own needs and the needs of their community and um, the needs of the planet. So that is our hope. And then we also do try our best to run double blind psychedelically, which is something Madison and I talk about is what does it mean to, you know, sort of integrate the, the values or the lessons that you receive from a psychedelic experience into your own life and into the way that we run our business. And so the way that how that looks for us is that we don't shut people out of things ever. All of our webinars, if you can't afford to or in our courses, if you can't afford to attend, you can't afford afford to enroll, but you want access to the information because you feel like it's going to help you. You just have to email scholarships at doubleblindmag.com and say, I'd really like to attend this thing and I can't afford it right now. And we say, okay, 
here's admission. Mm, and, you know, great. and and also for everything that we do, for, not for everything we do, but for all of our um, education, we have sliding scale as well, which we love the spirit of because there's this idea that, you know, like for our webinars, there are 15 to $25 sliding scale. And then as mentioned, if you can't afford 15, you can just email us and we'll we'll give you admission anyway. But but it's it's you know, we explain with the sliding scale um you know, basically, because people have asked, you know, what what's the difference between a $15 ticket and a $25 ticket? And our answer is our gratitude. Like, if you can afford 25, then we appreciate that because that money goes back into subsidizing our scholarships, you know, and it's kind of creating this beautiful ecosystem. And so, um, you know, and usually in the end, you know, we end up making about $20 a ticket, excluding the, the scholarships, because some people do, do 15 and some people do 25. And, you know, and, and we just love that. We love the spirit of that. And we want to encourage people to think about, um, think about their decisions in that way. Like, how am I helping lift someone else up by making this choice? I like that. What you said, um, we're, we're going to run the magazine psychedelically. At first, when you said that, I thought, oh, you know, we're going to be, you know, microdosing every day. Or no, you just well, meant the too. spirit. And <laughs> full disclosure, folks. Full disclosure, folks. I microdosed about an hour before this talk um, with LSD. So this is what a microdose podcast host sounds like and acts like. I know. Pretty wild, right? Um, Paul Stamets, you mentioned earlier. And he's quoted in the latest issue of Whalebone Magazine, shout out to Whalebone, as saying, reality is far greater than the narrow perception of normal consciousness. And I think these medicines are helping us better understand that the boundaries confining our view of existence are being pushed out to horizons of possibilities that boggle the imagination. And so here's what I love about that Samet's quote, because folks, you remember what happens when you get, remember, I don't know, you know what happens when you get to the horizon, right? You realize, I mean, unless you're a flat earther, um, and if you are, cool, whatever, you do you, you realize that the horizon was a mirage, that there's a new horizon and that you've covered a lot of ground, right? And so that's what really excites me about all of this is the possibility that humans are only scratching the surface of what we can be. And psychedelics are offering us a whole lot of insight into our potential as a species. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't actually know. I mean, I think Paul Stamets is brilliant, so I should probably just default to whatever he says. I he yeah, who am I to be like? I disagree with Paul Stamets, but um, you know, I majored in philosophy. I spent much of my life, although I'm young, thinking about human nature and the evolution of human consciousness. And I would just say that, yeah, when I think back to sort of the earliest civilizations that we have information about, you know, and I read about like ancient Greece and Eastern philosophy, Buddhist and Taoist texts, I don't know that humans have changed that much, uh, actually, over the last um, however many thousands of years. I mean, I, I like to believe that we are becoming um, more conscientious and connected and evolved 
But I also think that a lot of the things that humans have struggled with forever, we're still struggling with. And I think a lot of the the fundamental needs and wants that we all have are still uh, fundamental needs and wants. And so I'll get more specific and say, I'm a hippie. And I think that like love is the most important thing and is the thing that everyone, mostly everyone wants more than anything else. And I think that that has always been true. Perhaps psychedelics enable us to connect more with, with these truths and these values and these wants that are ancient. But um, I don't know that like we are sort of like physiologically, neurologically, sort of epigenetically uh, transforming as a result of our psychedelic use. I mean, it's a good question, and especially the epigenetic question. That's just a huge, that's a whole different conversation. I would agree with you largely on this. You know, I've grown up hearing this phrase, maybe it's because I live in California, Northern California specifically for most of my life. You know, the, this idea, the, 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 you know, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, right? That, that we are, as a species, evolving into something uh, that's bigger and better than it ever has been. And I, I struggle thinking that that's true. I, I kind of do feel like when you look at the history of humanity, we're kind of the same species that we have been. Um, there's not a, a lot of difference there. But I don't think that means that that's where we need to stay, that that's where we're going to always be. And maybe psychedelics are something that can cross-culturally propel us forward a little bit. Uh, I, you know, obviously the Super Nice Club exists because I feel like we need to be nicer. You know, we haven't arrived at some state that allows us to get along as our population explodes, right? And puts more and more pressures on us. And population means resource scarcity means bringing out, you know, maybe the worst in humans. So if ever we need a new way forward or new tools, it's now. So, I mean, I have to be hopeful that maybe psychedelics can be one of these tools that arrives just when we need it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people feel the way you do. And um, a question that I often ask myself and that I have posed on on other podcasts and things is, you know, it is absolutely 100% true that um, psychedelics can make people uh, nicer and more compassionate. Um, because we see that in the data, you know, and not that we need data to, to know that, but we live in a society that reveres data. And, you know, if you look at the trials coming out of Johns Hopkins and New York University and Imperial College London and all these prominent institutions that are investigating psilocybin and MDMA um, and, you know, working on trials that are, you know, contributing to, you know, working on a sort of trials to get them to market as prescription medications, um, you see that, you know, when people find healing, like individual healing, as a result of a psychedelic, that the people who are really close to them in their lives, their loved ones also report uh, that their the way that they behave, that sort of their kindness and their communicative communicativity communicativity is that a word (laughs) anyway sure it is now sure it is now uh improves as well and so you know i have no doubt that psychedelics can make people nicer i don't think they always do and i think that it's important to remember that you know psychedelics have also been used uh in a lot of problematic 
ways um, in the past uh, by hate groups and whatnot. So it's it's not clear that they always make people, quote, better people, whatever that means to you. But a, a bigger question is, you know, if we're talking about some kind of collective shift in consciousness that needs to happen, like we just want, you know, collect, we, we want to see a collective shift in consciousness that, you know, catalyzes systemic change so that overall we're living in a better society, um, then, you know, we have to ask ourselves how many individual people need to kind of wake up in order for us to see that broader paradigm shift. Um, And I don't have that answer. Well, that was the big question in the 60s, right? That's when people were, were really tuning in and, and getting turned on by all these different compounds that, that Shulgin was making. And, and, you know, the idea was then the joke was, you know, we just need to dose the water supplies, right? And things got pretty exuberant. Um, government infiltrated these networks and kind of paved the way to make everything illegal, right? Which was unfortunate because a lot of, back then, a lot of scientists and psychologists knew what you were talking about, that there was great potential for mental health, for anxiety, uh, addiction, depression, uh, dementia, PTSD, all these things that are now being shown that psychedelics used properly are wildly effective. Do you ever wonder if, like now it's 2021, do you ever fear a repeat scenario that like an overindulgence, uh, an overexuberance today will lead to sort of another snapback, another yeah. reining in of, of things? People ask me that a lot, and no, I'm not afraid of that happening. I don't want to say, I was going to say at all. I don't want to say at all because, you know, anything could happen. But my sense is that um, things are, you know, things this time around, and by this time around, I'm referring to the psychedelic renaissance, which many people say kind of began in the 90s with a trial investigating DMT in New Mexico and really picked up in the 2000s, you know, things this time around are being done very differently than they were the first time around. Um, There's just, there's so much fear about a repeat of history that there's incredible amount of thought and intention that's being put around sort of like the quote unquote mainstreaming of psychedelics, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't love that phrase, but that's a whole other ball. Yeah, it's a whole other, it's a whole other ball of wax, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening again. Uh, I hope not because there's so much progress, meaningful progress that, that changes so many lives right now. Uh, on the on the medical front, on the on the medicine front, on the PTSD front, uh, we had a whole episode with Amy Emerson from Maps, folks. If you're interested in what psychedelics, in, in this study's case, um, MDMA can do for folks who are suffering from PTSD, anxiety, and depression, I really recommend you check out the podcast um, with Amy Emerson, or better yet, just go to the Maps the MAPS website. It's uh, What is the MAPS website? I'll put it in the show notes. And and look at the studies. Look at the numbers there. If, if somebody you know is suffering from PTSD, that they've tried all sorts of different remedies for, there's something on the horizon that could be life-changing. So, But back to the nuts and bolts of publishing real quick, because this is an industry that I've loved. I love the publishing industry. We've had a few magazine editors on the podcast. You started this You both started this in 2018, and I know it's only been three years, and I know that we've dealt, we've all dealt globally with COVID uh, during that time, but even though it's been a brief span, 
Have you seen much in terms of a broader cultural acceptance of psychedelics just over the last three years? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely shifting very fast. I mean, I don't know if there's been any kind of public opinions done on psychedelics, unfortunately. I would, I really hope that, um, that that gets done soon. But, um, you know, Rick Doblin, the founder of MAPS, often says that medicalization precedes legalization and that sort of the acceptance, acceptance follows that same trajectory. So where we are right now is that, uh, for folks who don't know, is that in May of 2019, Denver decriminalized psilocybin, which is one of the primary psychoactive ingredients in psychedelic mushrooms. And they were the first county in the United States to decriminalize a psychedelic. And then less than a month later, Oakland decriminalized all natural psychedelics, not just psilocybin. Anything that comes out of the ground that's psychedelic was decriminalized. And then Santa Cruz. And then I couldn't tell you exactly the order, but now we've had about a dozen different jurisdictions decriminalized at the local level. Detroit just decriminalized last week. And we have more than 100 cities and counties that are looking at decriminalizing. And it feels like every single day, like, Literally, I'm like going on Instagram and I see some account decriminalize, you know, Milwaukee. And I'm like, there's a Mm -hmm. decriminalization group in Milwaukee. It's like every, you know, it's just it's spreading like wild. Go Milwaukee. And (laughs) there probably is a decriminalization group in Milwaukee. Shout out to them. Um, And uh, and then at the same time, you know, we have what's going on with the FDA, which is that you know, there's been uh, that psilocybin and MDMA are both have been given breakthrough therapy status. So that means that they've basically been put on the fast track to become legalized as um, prescription medications and will be on the market likely within the next five years. MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder, psilocybin for major depressive disorder and treatment resistant Mm -hmm. depression. Um, And then we have everything that's happening culturally that reflects what's going on medically sort of, you know, within the realm of pharmaceuticals and also politically at the local level. So we have Michael Pollan coming out with his second book, uh, Your Mind on Plants, which is now being turned into a docu-series on Netflix. We have Have a Good Trip on Netflix. We have Hamilton Morris's show on Vice. We have, you know, of course, the proliferation of, I mean, what's gone on with Burning Man, it's crazy. I started going to Burning Man in 2011. Nobody knew what Burning Man was in 2011. Now everybody knows what Burning Man is, and there's Burning Man groups all across the globe. There's a Burning Man in South Africa, you know? Africa mm-hmm. burn. There is. And so... And, so, and that reflects, I think, sort of like the greater infiltration of psychedelic ideas and values um, into the mainstream. Um, so... I mean, the short answer is yes, absolutely. It's grown exponentially and it's continuing to grow. And also, I have to say as a caveat to this, that it's easy to forget how many people actually have no idea what's happening in the realm of psychedelics when you live in a city and or are a part of a community of people who are talking about psychedelics and doing them. Because there are still millions and millions of Americans and people all around the world who actually have no idea 
what's happening in the realm of psychedelics. And I think they will soon. And I think more and more of them are beginning to learn about it. But as soon as um, this podcast hits, they'll all know. There's a long way to go. We have a long way to go still. So speaking of of local political work, um, Supervisor Sylvia Ortiz Velez in Milwaukee proposed a resolution, and this is just marijuana, but it's the stepping stone to the you know psychedelic world, basically decriminalizing possession of 25 grams or less, making it a one dollar fine. So there we go, Milwaukee. You're you're moving forward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I you know just. Figure we'd finish off that Milwaukee, that that little uh, hanging thread there. Milwaukee, it's it's happening. <laughs> it is happening in Milwaukee. Um, so, how do people get involved with the double blind community? What's the best way? Where do they start? People that are like, man, double blind sounds like my jam. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Um, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. We're at Double Blind Mag on all of those platforms. We have a YouTube channel where we have videos about psychedelics. We have articles coming out all the time. So, you know, if you just want to poke around and follow our content for a while, that's great. We welcome you. And if you want to go a little deeper and you want to support our work, you can subscribe to the print magazine or you can attend an event or you can sign up for a course, but it's all available at doubleblindmag.com. I really recommend folks, if you don't want to make the commitment to purchasing, um, sign up for the, the mailing list. It's a, it's, there aren't many, many emails that come through, but each one is pretty interesting, well composed. Uh, none of them are, you're never going to consider them spam. So it's, it's, I don't, I don't keep a lot of, you know, like a lot of us, our emails, we kind of try to protect. Double Blind is one of the only ones that, that, uh, that I sign up to. So maybe, maybe start there. And maybe the Super Nice Club mailing list too. You know, ours is pretty good. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. Superniceclub.com. Subscribe to the uh, mailing list. So, we do this thing called Give Me the Lip, L-I-P, Latest Instagram Post, and where we take a look at the latest Instagram post from our guest, and in which case, it's not your personal one. It's going to be Double Blind Mag. Let's see here. Oh, okay. So if you go to Instagram, Double Blind Mag, the latest post is a picture of a series of crazy interior rooms. Uh, it says, it's cold outside, so you're planning an indoor trip little emoji of a mushroom. Which one is your spot? Choose your favorite. Where are these? I mean, this is a insane lavender room with a giant butterfly <laughs> and a, it's a love couch. And then there's sort of like a, I can't even describe the second photo. You know what? Maybe an Egyptian sun goddess. And then, a okay, the third one is where I would go. They're all crazy. They're all like a little bit overload to me. I might, I might, I might have a hard time in these rooms, but there's a pink room with a big glass, it looks like a plexiglass tube, maybe five foot diameter extending from the ceiling to the floor. That looks cool. I'd probably just like walk around that and explore that for hours. And then a couple of those big um, egg chairs. So I'm going to say the third room. What about you? Do, you? do you know which post I'm talking about? I do. I'm looking at it right now. Um, yeah, what's your room, Shelby? I think my room would be the first one, only because, you know what, these are all really cool rooms, but the first one is the only one that looks cozy, like it has uh, yeah, it's a soft, carpet right? and a couch. I don't want to trip somewhere that looks like a museum. Like, maybe I want to walk around the museum, but ultimately I want to land somewhere where I can um, snuggle with myself or other humans. So, So I would say room number one. All right, I think you've converted me. I 
exactly right. Plus, it's they're cool. They're cooler colors, like cool colors, you know, yet warm. It's all right. We're gonna go with room number one, folks. I want to know which room you would pick. Go to Double Blind Mag on the November third post and let me know. If you let me know which room you picked, I'll send you some super nice club stickers. Yep, no limit. Anybody who wants some, some free stickers can tell me which room you picked. But I want to know why, too. I want to learn a little something about you uh, in your response. I, I want to get a little something in exchange for these stickers because, you know, I've got to put them in an envelope and put stamps on them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take me a little bit of work. So make it worth my time, all right? Free stickers. All you have to do is go to the uh, Instagram, Double Blind Mag, hit like on the page, and then let me know about that post. Uh, Shelby, we have a... a be nice challenge, a quick little challenge that you issue the community, something that they can do to make their world or the world just a little bit nicer. You have something, have something you can throw out there, something that people can do. Hmm. I, um, I really love Deepak Chopra's seven spiritual laws of success. It's one of my favorite books. And in it, he mm-hmm. talks about the power of just wishing silently, wishing people well. And so I, I would challenge people to spend a day silently wishing everyone that they encounter well and just seeing how that shifts how they feel and how they interact with that person. I like that. I, I definitely will accept that challenge. <laughs> and again, we like to give stuff away at Super Nice Club. So you accept the challenge. This is all the honor system. You do it for a day. We'll give you something. You know, send send in send in a uh, let's see what can we give away. How about a subscription to Double Blind Magazine? How about that? So <laughs> do the challenge. Let us know how it went, and uh, we will uh, we'll pick out a subscription or two of Double Blind Magazine That's so uh, sweet. for those who participate in this challenge. Cool. Here's how we wrap it. You get to be the host for a second, uh, and you can get to you just ask ask a question of me. Any question at all. Fire away. If you, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Like when people were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you, what did you tell people? I wanted to be an archaeologist. That's what I wanted to be. Um, I mistakenly thought archaeologist was a paleontologist because like most little um, kids, a lot of little kids, I was really into dinosaurs. So what I really wanted to be was a paleontologist, but I always said archaeologist and so eventually that's what i was into was archaeology you know in and in uh college i took self-taught hieroglyphics as part of my religious studies course i mean i was all over archaeology for a long time i in college wasn't thinking that i was going to be an archaeologist but it was still something i was fascinated with i still am today i i love reading articles that pop up from national geographic on some exploration of an ancient civilization you know it's it's um Archaeology and marine biology, these are some of my, you know, maybe in a, in a different uh, existence. These are things that I'm doing in, in one of my other uh, incarnations. Mm. Cool. I love that. Yeah. And that's such a like, that's such a kid thing to do as well. Like to think that an archaeologist is the paleontologist and tell, tell everyone like, yeah, I want to be an archaeologist. And you actually don't know what yeah. that is. <laughs> like that's such a kid thing Thanks, to Mom do. Dad. <laughs> Thanks for never correcting me. <laughs> So thank you. Thank you, Shelby, for just giving us a little bit of insight, not only into the world of Double Blind Magazine and, and 
publishing and some of the things, the challenges in that, but also uh, the world of, of psychedelics. Folks, I really encourage you, even if you have no interest in psychedelics, I encourage you to check out Double Blind Mag. Anybody who's really passionate about what they're doing and has taken a big personal risk to get there is somebody that we really want to get behind and champion. So we're behind you, Shelby, and we're definitely champions of, of what you're all doing at Double Blind. Thank you very much and wishing you the best of luck as well. So there you have it, a super nice conversation with super nice Shelby Hartman of Double Blind Magazine. If you want to check out Double Blind, uh, the links are in the show notes or just type in Double Blind Google, but the links to their their website, uh, Instagram, to MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychic Studies, Studies. Uh, and if you go to Double Blind, uh, their website, there are just really cool workshops, classes there that you can check out. You can participate in, heck, depending on who you are and what you know, you can you can maybe lead one, you know? I don't know. I don't know what you know. You probably don't even know what you know. Um, really rich conversation if you're interested in publishing. I mean, she just dove in, right? Uh, it's a big leap from journalist to owning your own publishing sort of uh, platform, dare we say, empire. Uh, the world of psychedelics right now is so important and as part of a super nice world. I say that because, you know, we are facing mental health crises all over as a species, all over. It's population pressures, it's uh, performance pressures, economic pressures, you name the pressures. They just keep ramping up. Did we say climate pressures? Yeah. So looking at something that might help us as a medicine, plant medicine, psychedelics, it's important to take a look at. You know, wherever you stand, whatever you feel about these things, uh, it's important that we take a look at everything we can to help ourselves in a really, really trying time. So I would urge you just to take a look at the science. Take a look at the science, see what you think. Would love to hear from you. Remember, we're giving away a subscription in this episode to uh, Double Blind Magazine. So please do enter for that. And if you know anybody that, that you think might enjoy this podcast, please pass it along. That would be great. Subscribe, you know, uh, do all the things that that uh, will help <laughs> make our podcast be more visible out there. So click, subscribe, tell a friend, etc., etc. All right, Super Nice Club members, thank you so much for being part of this journey. Love you a whole bunch. 10% nicer. That's all we ask. All right, till the next episode, stay nice. So come on in
Let's go. 